Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 413. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, standing right next to me. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 413. Did you want to... No, I just look at... Do you like want to hear... No, dead. come on, come on. Yeah, right. It's real. It's not even virtual. It's real. See, we can prove it. Even though uh, in some shots, it, it kind of looks like he's not in the same room as me. Yeah, except I can reach yeah, over. Yeah, he's here. So yeah. coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, you know you've been waiting for it. It's our review of Ubuntu 16.04, one of the most anticipated releases. Of Ubuntu, I th I would say since 12.04. It is a major release with fundamental new features like snap packages, ZFS support, and a bunch of really good derivatives that maybe even are better than the main. That's We'll talk about that. Okay. I don't want to get anybody upset. Plus, talking about Ubuntu, there's a little bit of Ubuntu news this week in terms of cloud coverage, or you might say cloud dominance. We'll go over some of the numbers on Ubuntu's raw numbers in the cloud, plus how Red Hat is making its billions all Linux all the time. And is Docker a CIA conspiracy? It's actually not as crazy as it sounds. And then we'll have, of course, some feedback. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? We've got picks. We have <laughs> picks. We've got some great picks this week. Uh, picks that it took us a while to get here. We traveled a long road to find these picks, which I will tell you more about later. But uh, our first one, our Runs Linux, was perhaps the most obvious pick of the week, even though it was a contentious battle. We went with this Raspberry Pi-powered remote control camera that monitors weather, temperature, and more, and it looks really slick with an LCD screen mounted on top of this thing. Now, what do you think of this thing? Uh, I think that it is absolutely awesome. And the thing that is neat about stuff like this is that I, I fully believe that it, that uh, that inventions like this just simply wouldn't exist if it wasn't for things like the Raspberry Pi, right? Like, you can go and, and take... Uh, you, you have somebody that says, you know, I'd be kind of interested in having a look at what the weather is like outside, but to actually take that and productize it... Pro is that a word? Um, you have to have inexpensive and available hardware. And so I think this is just another example. And we, it was funny because like the, the pick that we were competing with is actually another Raspberry Pi mm -hmm. uh, thing, which we might maybe demo I in think the future. We could, yeah, we could save that one for the future. The, in fact, uh, it's getting to, oh, you could almost have the Raspberry Pi runs segments. You, you uh, definitely could. And we're, we're not trying not to overdo it, but every now and then a couple cool ones crop through. And, you know, what I think it's really telling us is the Raspberry Pi, even though you guys already know it's true, mm -hmm. uh, it's not just hype. Uh, there, it really is bringing average people to experiment and tinker with Linux. Right. All right, Noah. You know, uh, you might not have noticed, but you're standing right next to me, and uh, it's always it's always fun when Noah comes into town because we always try to get a few projects done, and we always end up doing a few extra things. Like, uh, I, we'll, we're gonna, there's a surprise we'll be revealing later, but essentially, like, did you expect to do any of the things we did yesterday? Like until you got here to the studio, like your day, as you probably expected, it didn't even begin till about eight p.m. Yeah, I mean. To be fair about it, I don't really have a whole lot of expectations. Right. I, just, I expect to show right. up. And I told you the other day, I'm a dog in the car along for the ride. <laughs> and so we had some fun up at uh, up at my place. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, after a day of fun, I brought Noah back here to the studio. I took off to try to get some sleep for the show. And I knew Noah and uh, the beard, Rikai, would be working on some projects. I, I want to show you what it kind of looked like after I got back to the studio after, say, uh, I don't know, 
uh, maybe uh, six hours I was gone. Yeah, and, that's uh, nothing. You should. Did you see the box of trash we did pick up? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for those of you that are listening, I have a video shot here of uh, – the entrance to the Jupiter Broadcasting uh, Studio kitchen, which has been converted into a PC build space. And for those of you watching, I'll play a little Just bit so of this. You can tell Noah's moved into a place after a couple of days, and he's in project mode. This is the kitchen. There's a there's a lot going on here right now. That's that was the oven over there. <laughs> that oh, was wow. the oven. Well, I think it's now just a, a place to hold beer and McDonald's. <laughs> and then over here we have uh, with the PC on the kitchen floor. Of course, you got it. With a new PC build comes a lot of garbage. And a lamp on the floor, obviously. Some more garbage. There, there's the pile of trash that we did pick up. A monitor on a TV tray with some some more garbage. Pizza Hut and Coke uh, over there. New egg boxes over there. Yep. Guess what, everybody? Noah's doing a build. That's my kitchen floor. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and the worst part is, uh, this is going to be one of the new Linux rigs where we've been telling you guys about, and uh, it was kind of rough last night. You guys are working on this thing until so, about 5 a.m., right? Again, as usual, nothing ever goes as planned, and so we start working at like 10 p.m., and like around 5 or 6 a.m., we're getting like one PC isn't working, so I'm like, oh, screw this. Let's get the next one open. So I just start ripping things open, set the motherboard down, start plugging in, and grab a screwdriver. <laughs> And then, you know, to start the computer up and realize that <laughs> you are the only two motherboards on the face of the planet that don't power up. Yeah, two bad gigabyte motherboards uh, back to back. Gigabyte, like, that, there's your keyword. Yeah. Gigabyte. Yeah. But, you know, uh, they had some fancy features. But, uh, of course, that even though it was a total disaster, the guys had to eat. And that didn't prevent Noah from trying to switch somebody to Linux. So uh, that's this uh, next video here. This is apparently in the middle of the night. Hello, oh. how are you doing today? All right. Is this for you? And I guess, but just so the little background here, the the back the guy here is a uh, that uh, so you have uh, the Pizza Hut guy, which uh, had no idea what was coming his way, uh, just as uh, as they open the door. Oh, how are you doing today? All right, is this for you? See videotaping you? Yeah. <laughs> it's a project tonight, man. We're building Linux boxes. Have you heard of Linux? I've not. What's that? Linux. It's an operating system. Oh, okay. So, what, what, what operating type it, of So, it is basically it is basically an alternative to Mac OS or Windows. Oh, okay. I tell you what, when do you work next? Uh, tomorrow. Okay, we're going to order a pizza tomorrow, and we will have a Linux disk for you. Okay. Would you, would you try it if we gave it to you? Sure. All right, cool. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Take care, man. Uh, I'll start, I'll start at three. Uh, request Tyler. Okay. okay. The, or Ginger. Ginger or Tyler? <laughs> Tyler named Ginger. Got it. Okay. You guys have a good one. You too. Uh, <laughs> it keeps going. It keeps going. You distracted me with we the Linux so, We got so excited about Linux, we didn't care if you left at the food. He actually started to walk away with the pizza. They forgot to get the pizza. Well, we I mean, I would have enjoyed point. leaving with the food. Yeah. <laughs> I am hungry. What? Hey, actually, here's an even better idea. What time do you get off? Uh, I think like 10, 11. Would you, if we order pizza, would you want to come in and eat pizza and try Linux? Just show it to me real quick. Okay, all right, come here. <laughs> real quick. Are you serious? So we brought him in, and we, we sat him down, we set him up with the Libram, and showed him 
Ubuntu and exactly what Linux can do. And then we invited him back. Now, one small oversight. I'm, uh, uh, I'm not going to be here tonight. <laughs> so I'll have to call Pizza Hut and let him know that we'll have to reschedule. But he's going to come back and we're going to uh, help him install Linux or get him switched to Linux. So Yeah, we're not going to be here because right after we get off the air today, we're jumping in Lady Jubes and we're going over to Idaho to pick up uh, Ham Radio, one of our editors, uh, who's going to help us out with the Linux Fest Hall. So we got a lot to talk about first. So let's take a moment and thanks thanks to DigitalOcean. Go over there and go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Here's the thing, one word like you're slurring it. And that'll give you a $10 credit. DigitalOcean.com is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server in less than 55 seconds. And for only $5 a month, you'll have a Linux rig with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And their pricing plans go up nice and easy from there. They have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, and Germany. And they have the best interface in the business with a straightforward API and a brand new command line utility to make it even cooler. Uh, and I know, uh, as uh, Noah was approaching the Pacific Northwest, he was conspiring in the background with Editor Rikai on uh, new ways to s- broadcast our streams out to all the things. And uh, Noah, if I'm not mistaken, at, a, at the core of this very design was DigitalOcean. At the very core was DigitalOcean. Yeah, I actually, I was in the airport, and of course the internet, they have the phenomenal bandwidth of one meg down and 500k up. Are you like killing like time between flights, or, or is this like yeah. when you landed in SeaTac? No, no, no. Well, that, no, that was a mad rush. But when I, when I landed in Minneapolis on a layover, I had like three hours. So I was like, well, I sh- should do something. And so I, was, I pinged the beard and said, what should I be working on? And so we were going back and forth and, and decided that we were going to set up some backend services. And so basically I was able to spin up a droplet at the airport on the airport's crappy, horrible, nonsense Wi-Fi that kicks me out every 15 minutes and SSH in. And then once I had access to their bandwidth, then installing the packages and yeah. getting things set up was no you problem. You know, that's one of my tricks, too, is I if I'm in a spot that is, like, super bad on the MiFi or really spotty for in terms of Wi-Fi coverage, I SSH in using Mosh to my DigitalOcean droplet. Have you mm-hmm. ever, do you ever use Mosh? I have in the past. Yeah, Mosh even, like, is, like, if the Wi-Fi cuts out, I don't lose my connection. And I do, I do my actual work on the DigitalOcean droplet. There's so many things you could do from building your own own cloud instance, from deploying the next web application that's going to be the big thing for your business. DigitalOcean.com is the place to do it. If you use the promo code, here's the thing. You get a $10 credit. And check this out. You go over to DigitalOcean. They have lots of really good tutorials. I'm liking this. They have tutorials now on how to, how to upgrade to Ubuntu 16.04 LTS, how to secure Nginx on Ubuntu with Let's Encrypt. They have the documentation now on their new DigitalOcean command line client. And an overall topic introduction to configuration management. Uh, they have tutorials now on how to set up Let's Encrypt on Ubuntu 16.04. This is the place to go. They're right on top of this stuff at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code. Here's the thing. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Promo code. Here's the thing. Thanks, you guys. And thanks to the audience for using that to keep in a, for keeping us going. <clears throat> we had a lot to choose from when it came to the desktop app pick. I literally tried four different desktop apps. Are we going to do this now? Nope. Okay. Just for you guys. I went through four of them. I tried four. I investigated and researched four. And I landed on Altio. Altio is going to take your Gwake up to the next level. It's a drop-down terminal, but it's not like you know it. Uh, it has a couple of really super... Oh, hi there. has a really couple of super nice features, including the really, really the best multi-monitor support that I've seen in any drop-down terminal. Full stop, uh, if you want to know why you would use this over Yawake, 
or Guake, if you want a drop-down terminal that's really nice, uh, and you have multiple monitors, this is a really solid choice. It also highlights parts of the terminal header by color. For example, it highlights the usernames and the host names. It adjusts the header of the terminal to make sure everything matches, like if you're using regular expressions. It has alert pop-ups if you want to turn these on. If you're trying to close important quote-unquote applications like SSH or WGET, the pattern is customizable, customizable, whatever. Your mouth. Uh, it has this feature, which I think you might actually like, Noah. Check mm -hmm. this out. Delayed closing tabs. So this is an, an advanced feature you can set to say, when I close a tab, actually delay the closure by 10 seconds. Just in case you go, oh, crap, not that tab. Just, it's an option. You can also lock important tabs, which is really cool. And then specifically, the multi-monitor support. Uh, Alt-EO is started on default, can be configured, which one you want. Individual window sizes and positions for each monitor. And the program contains a follow-the-mouse mode, like Quake does. After hiding, it can show on all the different monitors with those preset dimensions that you want. And last but not least, what I really like about it is it supports running multiple instances. So you could have the drop-down terminal on multiple windows at the same time. Uh, and it has lots of nice features. And you were explaining how that multiple instances would have saved your bacon. Uh, yeah, there has been back. there has been times where I've had updates that have choked. Uh, so it's a really nice terminal, and you can see here it has uh, it had really kind of a cool way with color highlighting to show stuff. It is in its own right a very unique terminal, uh, and it has a PPA available for Ubuntu sixteen oh four. Nice. Yeah. Uh, now I know you're kind of a great guy. I'm kind of a great guy. Not really yeah. going to get us to switch no. either way, but. If you're not already married to a drop-down terminal and you haven't and you haven't really tried one before, yeah. I mapped this to tilde and it just it slides right down and it's very configurable. It has a nice GUI. Everything can be configured within the GUI. Mm -hmm. um, so Altio is really nice if you haven't already sort of fell in love with your with a drop-down terminal. And I kind of get the sense that it's going to go really good if you have an elementary desktop as well. Yeah, and if you haven't switched to a, a drop-down terminal, you should do that like yesterday. Yeah, it really is uh, significantly uh, just like it's, the, it's one of the best things about your Linux box is that command line environment. In fact, I think it's really too bad that a lot of new users come to Linux and they sort of get the concept of, yeah. I got to do everything in the GUI. Yeah. Uh, I want to set something up. Uh, so they type in like, you know, uh, CFS RAID config GUI instead of just learning to do it on the command line. Mm -hmm. And one of the most advanced features you have, and this is why Microsoft spent the time and trouble creating the Linux subsystem for Windows, is the Bash environment. It's right. one of the most advanced things you have right there, and to have yep. it just immediately available. I have, I will often have drop droplets that I have work on just mm -hmm. in a drop down right there. I sometimes will have ping just running for like three hours in a drop down just so I can check something really quick. Sometimes I have HTOP just a tilde away. I can look at something tilde and it slides away. It's it's like putting the magic genie right one fingertip away. You know, you this, doesn't, in this doesn't always sound like the most compelling feature, but uh, the, the terminal is really the lowest common denominator. And so if you can become comfortable with it, it allows you a tremendous amount of flexibility over multiple systems. Like, So there are certain things you can get done you know, with the graphical interface. In fact, I would argue that there's almost nothing that you need the graphical interface these days for, you know, like on the Ubuntu desktop. However... You want a little background music while I play this video? No, go. Keep sure. going. Keep going. Uh, but what I will say is that the... Uh, the terminal will allow you to get, if you can get something done on the desktop, you can get it done on your DigitalOcean droplet. Yeah, man. You can get it done on a real server. On a Slackware box, on a SUSE box. You can get it done anywhere you are, from your phone, from your laptop, yeah. from your desktop. Like it. Workstations. That's the uh, yeah. So it's Wait. all you. Know, oh, and the one nice feature too that I I, I forgot to mention just because uh, I don't use them, but I know a lot of you do. Full on rock and support for like i3 and tiling window managers. Oh yeah. Kind of nice. Kind of nice. Kind of nice. All right, you ready for a little 
open source project spotlight, Noah? I'm ready to light the spots. So we have something out there in the universe, say something you depend on, Mm -hmm. say something that you've fallen in love with, and then the developer of this open source project gets a little disenfranchised, needs to move along, and your favorite go-to utility for X is no longer supported. That might be a little confusing. Your go-to utility for Y. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, right, sure. So my point is, we all have probably, if you've been using Linux desktop for a while, had a favorite desktop application or utility that eventually got abandoned. Mm -hmm. Not a totally uncommon story in open source. But one of the flip sides to that story is because it's open source, sometimes something a lot of us depend on gets picked up by a new maintainer with a new sort of enthusiasm and a Mm -hmm. new direction Mm -hmm. and a project that you sort of had to just sort of wait around and see what happens get saved. That's, what's our, that's what today's Spotlight is all about, Noah. What is it, Chris? It is Shotwell, the GNOME uh, desktop photo manager that is, for me, just a little bit of photo manager, not too much. It's like one step above using the file system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I love it. It's just the right amount. Well, good news for Shotwell enthusiasts like me. We have a brand new maintainer. Uh, Jens is his name, and he just made an announcement saying he's picked it up, and he's starting today with a new release. Nothing huge. Uh, but there's been some nice bug fixes, some low-hanging fruit fixes, and, uh, well, a brand new release, which is pretty cool. So Shotwell, after sort of dying off, is back with 0.22.1. I have checked, and it's only available today in Arch, <laughs> but it'll be out everywhere soon, I'm sure. I'm really excited to see that Shotwell has a new project maintainer, and if you, like me, were using this as your photo management solution... Uh, it's great. Like, I know Noah, he prefers something like Darktable, right? Right. Well, so I went to the trouble of purchasing a $1,700 camera, and then I spent like five times that much on lenses. So I'm capturing all my images in raw. raw. And so the first thing I want to do when I bring them in is I want to set the I want to set the white balance, make sure that's correct. I want to go in and I want to tweak all that stuff. Yeah. And if and for me, the whole point of shooting in RAW is that I capture that RAW sensor data, right? And so, you know, like a simple image manager isn't really going to do it for me. But if I wasn't managing photos like my snapshots on my phone, I could definitely see using something like Shotwell. Like if I was one of those people, like my mother would be a prime example of this. She takes all of her photos on a camera, puts the SD card in, just copies them over to her pictures folder. Now, if that was my workflow, and then she just looks at them like they're just, they're done. If that was my workflow... Shot will be great. Yeah. Uh, basically, my only camera is my phone. That's why I'm really picky mm-hmm. about how good of a camera my phone has. And then I use Rapid Photo Downloader or some sync software like SyncThing or Google Photos mm-hmm. to get them onto my PC. And then, so the way, so my my actual my actual workflow right now is I sync everything using Google Photo because it actually just automatically organizes things mm-hmm. for me, even though it's Google. And then the ones I really like, I pull down to a local pictures directory and I use Shotwell to manage those. And regardless of whatever your photo management workflow is, there's enough of us out there that are super excited to see a new Shotwell release. So congrats to the Shotwell team. Welcome to Jens. Welcome aboard, sir. And thank you for taking over the project and keeping it going. Noah, it is days away. It is moments away, Noah. It is hours away, Noah. You know what I'm talking about? Days. Linux Fest. You could count that in hours. You could. I just. I'm yeah, just yeah. It's like the, I feel like that's like those people that are like, my kid is 755 yeah, days old. I agree. Old. I agree. But also, it sounds like the cop out of somebody who is not ready for the ultimate competition that is heading his way. But yeah, well, that's because somebody isn't practicing for the competition. Somebody is still converting Dude. people on the side, like the pizza guy. Okay, but yeah. Team Emma literally just hacked our live stream and brought us down for a moment during the broadcast because they know that they can't win. Shot. They, they know that they okay. have to like. Okay. They have to rile okay. us up. Well, we up. need your support either way. We we are expecting a full. 
full-on attack. It's already begun. The Dirty Tactics. You can join our army at meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting. That's our official meeting page. If you're going to make it to Linux Fest Northwest, I would love it if you would go to meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting and go to the meetup for Linux Fest. I also have it linked directly in the show notes. Only 32 people have signed up. Now, Noah, would you say it's a fair estimate to say we probably met 500 people at last year's Linux Fest that said they were there because we mentioned it on the show? Yes. And there's 32 people on this meetup page right now. That is awesome. That that math, that doesn't add up because we are going to meet more than 32 people that heard about it here on the show. Right. So that means about 470-ish of you are probably- 68. Okay. All right. Are not signing up at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Now, here's why it really matters this year, because we may need to mobilize the JB audience on a moment's notice because our competition is watching the show. So- we may have to wait until the last moment, and the best way to communicate with you in our area is via this Meetup page. We may need your support. Plus, we'd love to know who's going to Linux Fest, so go to meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting. Let us know if you're going to be there. It's important. It's important. It's so important, I may have to shave my mustache. You'll end up shaving your mustache, but that's what you get for betting against me. Yeah, that's true. Wait, wait, what? I didn't. Uh, the next week's Linux Action Show will be live from Linux Fest Northwest. So do join us. Check jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the live times. But you could probably tune in throughout the weekend and see us live streaming at Linux Fest next week. But we're not there yet, Noah. So you know what that means? It's time for the news. Let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Last.ting.com is where you should go to support this show and get yourself a discount. Uh, I am all fired up about Ting right now. I'm like, I'm, like a, I'm like a noob all over again. I love Ting because it's pay-for-what-you-use mobile, which is genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was having a conversation with somebody recently like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I, I would totally have listened to your episode, man, but I met the uh, cap in my data. That happened? That's a thing. That's like a thing. People have data caps, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I remember when I made the decision a couple of years ago, I am never going to worry about that again. I will just pay for what I use. It's a flat $6 a month for the line, and then you pay for what you use on top of that. Uh, now that Noah's back in town, uh, he brought back uh, the Nexus 5 that I let him loan for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. I have not I have not had an Android M device like that I've used on a daily basis. So I've just reset this, uh, this Nexus 5 up on Ting, uh, which is awesome. Uh, the process of setting – oh, yeah, okay. So – Noah, uh, Noah doesn't travel without a Ting Sim card. A spare Ting Sim yeah, card, I might add. So uh, he brings back the Nexus Five, and I'm like, oh, I kind of wish I would have ordered a Ting Sim so I could activate. It. And then I know it's like, boom, here's the Ting Sim right here. We pop it in the phone. Uh, how many how many customer service representatives did you have to talk about talk to to activate? Well, this? at first I had to go into the Ting store, then I had to wait in line. I had to sign in on an app yeah. on on the thing. Then right. I had to stand in line, and you had to wait like twenty minutes. I had to wait twenty minutes, people. and then somebody came over, and then they tried to sell me everything in the store. Yeah. Before I was, oh wait, did they no. tell you about their new Directv integration? They did tell me about the Directv good, integration good, good. and all the accessory. No, wait, I just signed in oh. and entered a number, and then yeah. we had it activated. Yeah, literally. But actually, while you were setting up the yes, show, yes. in between, hey, stand there and look look nice. Okay, go back. Stand there, look nice. Okay, go back yeah. to work. Okay. As and looking- As I'm literally framing the camera, Noah was logged into my to my t- I logged into my Ting dashboard, and I'm like, okay, you do that while I frame the camera. He activated my phone through the Ting website. 
within three minutes. If that, yeah. Yeah. And I entered I, in two numbers and I clicked next. He, and I went, it, it, literally, his question activated. was like, do you want a new number or do you want to use yeah. an existing number? I'm like, yeah, new number sounds good. Yeah. And then it's activated. And I had a Ting phone before the show starts. And now I'm going to be rocking the Nexus 5 for a road trip, which I'm super excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it is so nice to not have to deal with the store, not have to deal with the upsell. None of that. You know, the, the SIM number is reprinted right here on the big card. Mm-hmm. So once you put the little SIM in your phone, you don't have to pull it out to look at it. You can look at it right here, enter it in the website, you're good to go. Yeah. It's really nice. Ting is mobile that makes sense. No contract, no early termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. You own the devices outright, so you can just move them around between people, no problem. Or, you know, if you got one that, like, you just want to have, like, a certain set of data on, maybe only voice or only data or only text, you can set that up with Ting. They have an excellent Ting dashboard app that lets you manage the account right here from the phone or a great website. It's a killer service, and it's really great for those of you who just have a even the most basic understanding of how cell phone works. Like, for example, they have a CDMA and GSM network. I could have put this on either or. I chose the GSM. Well, which, you didn't really have a choice. That well, was that's, the, yeah, that's, that's true. I actually would have chose here at the studio the GSM. I get like 20 megabits. So well, it's, here's the other nice thing about activating the, the GSM site is now that that SIM is activated, that is your Ting SIM. And so you can yeah. simply just take that yeah. out and move it. If you want to yeah. switch phones every week, right. you just move that SIM card around. Although, thinking in retrospect, because I'm going to Idaho and what I know about Idaho and the terrain there... CDMA might actually have been a better choice, uh, but either way, it's going to be great. And what I love about it is because I know where I, because I, I am, I'm aware of the differences in the technology. I can make that choice. But right. even if you don't know, you know, they have two great networks to choose from, and you can bring a device that's compatible and get a $25 service credit. You just have to start by going to last.ting.com. Check them out at last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the show, and thanks to everybody for checking it out. And you know, the Nexus Five is still. A great phone. It's amazing how old that phone is and how relevant it still is. In fact, mm-hmm. the only reason uh, that I upgraded was I actually ran out of space. So, and then I wanted more space, so I upgraded. But. You know what I? Uh, huh. This is really cool. Uh, one of the things I really like about this phone, uh, the Nexus Five, is I'm getting the monthly uh, Google updates. Oh. So, like, I just I just got the last Google security update. So I'm like, it's like it's current as of this month. Nice. Which is which is really cool. And it's a Nexus 5, so it's it's a, you know. That's it's, good for you, arch users. That lets you right <laughs> on the bleeding edge. <laughs> exactly. So go to last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. And thanks to you guys for going to last.ting.com. And by the way, while you go there, even if you're not ready to switch yet, you just want to check it out more, they also have a blog that's worth checking out. they got a Plex post up right now, uh, which, is, uh, which is pretty cool. They really go into this stuff. Okay, no, it wouldn't be an Ubuntu episode without a little Ubuntu news. Uh, top story in the news this week. Ubuntu Linux continues to dominate the OpenStack and other clouds. So OpenStack uh, isn't dead yet. In fact, OpenStack is getting more and more deployments. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen J. Vodok Nicholas, who I'm sure is a weekly watcher of the Linux Action Show, wrote over at ZDNet, in the latest OpenStack user survey, we see that OpenStack is finally gaining real momentum in private clouds, like on-premises installations, mm-hmm. which is actually kind of a big deal for OpenStack. Uh, and in those implementations, Ubuntu continues to dominate by at least 55%. Uh, so check out some of the uh, interesting things here that Canonical's cloud marketing guy. They got a cloud marketing guy. Of course they do. Yeah. Ubuntu OpenStack continues to dominate the majority of deployments with 55% of production in OpenStack Cloud. This is a huge number, and I'm going to tell you some of the actual reasons, like how these numbers break down. I think you guys might be surprised. Previous surveys showed Ubuntu at 33%. Uh, so this has grown 67% where Ubuntu was already the market leader. That's a massive growth percentage, um, according to uh, Canonical. Now, here's some of the different numbers. Red Hat, with its own OpenStack distribution, with you know they've, they've really sort of tailored Red Hat Enterprise Linux to work great on OpenStack, mm-hmm. 
it's kind of having a tough fight. Get ready for these numbers. This is this is really something. Uh, the the, uh, the thing about and even including CentOS, the numbers don't look that much better. Uh, like if you look at EC2, for example. Mm-hmm. Ubuntu is the number one deployed Linux instance on EC2. Mm-hmm. Number two, the number two Linux deployed on EC2 mm-hmm. is Amazon's own Linux distribution. Mm-hmm. The number three operating system deployed on EC2, Windows. Windows is the number three deployed. And then in fourth, and and, and relatively distant fourth, too, is Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And that, then in another distant fifth is CentOS. That doesn't surprise me. Actually, I yeah, wait. You're telling me it doesn't surprise you that there are on the at least on the Amazon cloud mm-hmm. there are more instances of Windows than there are Red Hat. No, it doesn't surprise me, because what is the compelling reason to go? What is the, what is the reason that I would install Red Hat on EC2? You know, I can find. You know, if I if I just want to spin up solid backend services, I'm going with Linux, and if I'm going to do that, I'm going with Ubuntu because they're predominantly heavy in the cloud to begin with, right? And the the second most common reason I could see. To spin something up on EC2 is you ha- if you had some sort of Windows-specific application that needed you know, a backup. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but that sounds like a Red Hat apologist because it is astoundingly embarrassing for Red Hat not to be in the number one position. They are the number one server operating system. They're number one in the enterprise, at least they used to be. Mm-hmm. And you would think that if people are extending their on-premises installation up to the cloud, which EC2 is one of the obvious choices, uh-huh. you would think Red Hat would have, or CentOS even, if we're talking about cost, if we're really talking about price, you think CentOS at least would have been the default choice. In fact, you would... You would think, in an era of enterprise Linux where you have Red Hat as a $2 billion company, mm-hmm. I am astonished that Ubuntu not only has first place, but a dominating first place with 86,000 instances. 80, and, and Red Hat? Mm-hmm. Red Hat? 16,000 instances. That's a monstrous, embarrassing gap for Red Hat, and cost is only a small factor. I think it really It's not a small factor. I don't think it is a small factor. It's $399 a year per installation for Red Hat, for Red Hat support. Versus a one-time fee of whatever Windows is, $100, $200 for Windows support, or a free version of Ubuntu. And I think that if you look at those numbers, that follows exactly that scale. So then, what why, it, then why isn't CentOS larger? What's the advantage of CentOS over Ubuntu? What's the advantage of Red Hat over Ubuntu? Support. When you have a large installation of, of a lot of servers that you need support. See, in my, in my logic, then uh, a $300 license of Red Hat... When you consider the fact, okay, a four hundred dollars license of Red Hat. When you consider the fact that includes a year of support, if I'm an enterprise or a business, and this is a production grade system, Uh that is a tiny, 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 tiny cost to run that server. And four hundred dollars, I'd pay that ten times over for support on something that's critical to my business. By the time you get to the point where you have a a, where that where that where you have a large infrastructure, you're not talking about one server. You're talking about a lot of servers, and it's not a one-time cost of four. It's it's a four hundred dollars per server per year. And yes, I agree that in a lot of scales, you know, when you get up to scale, you're talking about a half million dollars, a million dollars, or something, you know, for a little bit of downtime. So okay, I, I right, do understand right. that at scale. I can definitely see your point, but then I think that would just underscore Red Hat's incredible missteps here and missing an opportunity to dominate the cloud. I do agree that that Red Hat doesn't dominate the cloud, but I also don't think that has ever been their target audience. Audience, and I think that they are slowly taking steps with things like Fedora Server to try to regain some of that market space. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, Fedora Server and their, you know, their, I guess, acquisition of the CentOS project and all of that is them moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. But it feels like way too much, way too late. And I look at these numbers here and mm-hmm. I think to myself, 
I would have expected CentOS to be much higher in the list, much higher, because your cost argument. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it seems like, okay, I'm an enterprise. I've been developing for Red Hat for 10 years. Now we're going to pivot to EC2, and I want to be able to maintain the same developer base. I want to pay the same employees. Mm-hmm. I want to keep writing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. It seems like CentOS would have been the obvious choice. But, but I, I guess maybe the move to Ubuntu just wasn't well, that dramatic. I think what it is is that I think when you get large uh, companies that have specific software solutions, I think that they tend to write for CentOS large. Like, so for instance, the last big CentOS deployment I did, which eventually turned into a Red Hat deployment, was a uh, a college that was doing chemical calculations, and they had a back-end farm that would do these calculations, stuff like that. That software really only ran on, on Red Hat. But I think that when you look at well, the majority of businesses these days, or the majority of spin-ups, which is, I have an idea, I have a project, I think those people are starting on Ubuntu, and then that simply becomes the natural progression. This is why, right, pause you right there, this is why I think Red Hat's new developer-free version yes. with Red Hat Enterprise subscription doesn't go far enough because what you just described is they start on Ubuntu for development and right. then because they've started on Ubuntu de- development that's what they deploy in production right See, and in, it's a snowball because but, then, but in the Red Hat Enterprise in the Red Hat Enterprise the deal for developers you could develop it on Red Hat Enterprise mm-hmm. with the Red Hat Enterprise network in development but as soon as you want to move it to production like you cross some sort of myth- mythical magical invented fake line and now all of a sudden you have to pay for no that's not fair you cross the line of I expect something in return from Red Hat now Right, I want I want support from Red Hat. That's what I think. For. Red Hat needs to move to a Red Hat support on demand subscription free. Maybe you buy it for four hundred dollars when you need it, and then you get it for a year. But I think That's they need bad. this. You get the full product with full enterprise management features, including a login to the Red Hat Enterprise dashboard. You get all of that for free, and then when you want to pick up the phone, that's when you better get a credit card with four hundred dollars. And the mm-hmm. thing, and I think the the problem is, is there's this weird gray period where you're in development and you've got five users, mm-hmm. ten users. Is that production now? Is that production? When does it go to production, Noah? Right. Is it when well, it's a thousand users? I, I is say, that when it goes no, to production? I mean, to be fair, I would say if you have a single user that is using it for production, it's in production. Right, but I think that it doesn't become necessarily a, a, a necessarily a good investment of four hundred dollars a year to support that server yeah. until you get a lot of people and a lot of revenue and going through it. I guess what I would love I would love the answer to be well, this is where Fedora Cloud or Fedora Server comes in. But the mm-hmm. transition from that to the other product, I don't see a clear no, path. No, it's not. It's a, in so. fact, actually, it's a re- I've done that, and it's a very bumpy path. Moving things that run on Fedora up to yeah. Red Hat yeah. almost doesn't work. I mean, in a lot of cases, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of Red Hat, uh, they are obviously still doing just fine despite this particular problem they're facing. Uh, There's an article over on the HuffPo, which I think is the first time we've ever featured the Huffington Post in the Linux Action Show. And ladies and gentlemen, it was found by Noah. Uh, It's an article about how Red Hat became the first $2 billion open source company. And it's an interview with uh, Jim Whitehurst, the CEO. It's kind of funny that these two are back to back. No, I mean, it's intentional. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not funny. That's <laughs> well, so called you, program flow. Yeah, well, well you're like, well, now just, ah, never mind. Anyway, so the great thing about Red Hat is, and this is just derailing me, because uh, <laughs> well, now it's just going to seem like, like uh, anyway, so uh, the great thing about Red Hat Get is, it out I of think here. that they have, uh, you know, a, a ton of morale, a ton of uh, ethics, but they have been, if you measure success by money, then Red Hat is one of the most, if not the most, successful open source company oh, yeah. ever. I mean, my, my comments about the situation, about them getting dominated by Ubuntu in the cloud, mm-hmm. uh, that's not any reflection on the company itself. And right. it's, not a pro- it's not like it's a problem they're not aware of. Yeah, they're right. obviously aware of the numbers. Right. And they're, uh, they're doing, you know, taking steps anyway, however effective or not effective. Um, but the cool thing about Jim Whitehurst is, you know, he's a former uh, um, 
uh, I suppose, CEO of Delta Airlines, right? Mm -hmm. And so he was, he lived in a community of a top-down management style where, you know, we have people that we put in suits in offices to make the adult decisions. And then we pass that information down to the children so that they can, you know, work by the law, the, the rules and stuff that we've set out. And basically when he got to Red Hat, he thought, I'm going to clean this place up. And he talks about this in his book. He says, I'm going to clean this place up. I'm going to show them how it's done. I, you know, I, you know, and then I'll he, teach these kids how to run a business. That's right. And what happened is they taught him and they totally shifted his, his paradigm of how he understood how to run a company. And now when they interviewed him and they said, they said, they asked him, they said, how did you, uh, how did you, how did Red Hat become a $2 billion company? And basically his answer, um, I like this one, too. So how are you able to embrace openness and vulnerability? Mm -hmm. First, I was given a gift of extremes. I went from being chief operating officer at Delta Airlines, a classic top-down, high-curl structure, to CEO of Red Hat, a more inclusive, open organization. Some may, some may look at the way we organize Red Hat and think it's an absolute chaos, while in the beginning I admit I, uh, it was hard to disagree with that. I ultimately realized that our chaotic culture allowed us to execute extremely well. Uh, my personality and skills fit really well with our open culture. I don't mind people telling me when I'm wrong or engaging in debate. I love right. that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he continues to say, he says, many corporate cultures still conform to the hierarchical command that control management model for the 20th century business needs. Knowledge workers are driving our economy today and they thrive the organizations that welcome their opinions. Uh, tap that creativity and award contributions over titles. And so the mm. thing that resonates with me with that, Chris, is that he is, it's essentially, it's a very subtle stab at you, at taking that old model and kind of saying, you guys are, you guys are kind of primitive in the way that you think that because you have earned a title, because you have some degree, that makes you more important and more smart and invalidates everyone else's opinions. And he, he it's a subtle jab at that and saying, that's why we're worth $2 billion. And I think that's really cool to hear that from an open source company and the leader from an open source company. I agree. Uh, all right. So this one was interesting. It's, it's uh, ca causing a bit of a dust up in the open source world, and it's coming from the mainstream press. Uh, I guess this was released recently. The CIA is secretly invested in a couple of Silicon Valley's hard hottest, I should say, hottest startups. And one of those, ready for it, Noah? I'm ready. Docker. Yeah. So everybody's freaking out. Mesafir and Docker are very well-funded San Francisco-based companies with valuations over $1 billion. The CIA's Incutel, which is an investment arm of the CIA, invested in these companies. And uh, the part that's got people kind of upset is the companies tried to keep it a secret. And so they kept it yeah. a secret, yeah. And and it turned out that uh, it came out via some filings, and now everybody's extremely upset. They're making a big deal about it. When you see this, Noah, the CIA investing in things like Docker, mm -hmm. does it make you a little, no. a little nervous? No. I mean, we all. all know the stories of uh, SE Linux and, right. uh, and Invent the NSA. Invented by the NSA. The code was written by the NSA, and yet it has made Linux, particularly Red Hat Linux, fundamentally more secure. So <laughs> Oh, you're getting the full retrievement. Thank you, honey. Chicken pot pies Look in studio. Look at that. <laughs> Rika, there's one for you. Oh, Rika, yours is here too, Rika. Look I, at that. <laughs> I got included. You got a chicken pot pie. For the pie. first time. <laughs> I, get to, I get to eat too. KFC, contact us. Uh, anyways, uh, so we'll save this. We'll, we won't eat on the show. We'll eat in between segments. But thank you, darling. Uh, chicken, boy, don't those smell good? Oh, and, and, and a little caffeine. Tell you what. Tell you what. This is how you do an Ubuntu review. You have the best girlfriend. This is how you do an Ubuntu review, my friend. She got me food. 
So uh, yeah, they have the NSA and their ties to SE Linux. Yeah. Do you remember when I? Do you remember when I asked you who's the other famous company in Silicon Valley that uh, Incutel has invested in? Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So maybe there is something to it. I don't know. Uh, no, I, you know. Well, I mean, I guess time will tell. But um, th- th- this idea, you know, when you, this is the great thing about open source and open code, right? There is no way. Uh, not that yeah. there's no way, it's but the code's out there. Right. And you know what the thing is? But the fact that they've contributed, taking contributions from the CIA, means that the code's going to be audited all that more carefully. So true. No, I don't care. I know you're excited about this next one, and we've seen people talking about it at conferences. Speaking of Linux Fest Northwest, Cumulus, which is a major name in networking, Dell. Red Hat and others demo Linux as a full stack SDDC. Now that's software defined data center, I imagine, or networking. Right. So basically, Cumulus Network has started this belief that it is a silly and irritating paradigm that we have network administrators and we have networked uh, we have network administrators and we have network technicians and so or system administrators and network technicians and so you have people that they they come up and they say well i manage the servers here and then you have other people that say well i manage the switches and routers here and what cumulus has said is that is that is a silly difference to make because Linux has all the power you need to manage your entire network. And so they make a $30,000 router, a $20,000 switch that you can use for large-scale data centers. And they say and it just it runs Linux. It runs Cumulus Linux, which is... I guarantee you at Linux Fest, we'll see a demo of software-defined networking. Right. Being, and, able to, being able to have Linux at the center of a switch or a router at, at the center of your network core... It gives you the kind of long-term flexibility where it's not crazy to spend tons of money on something like this because you're not locking yourself into a a Cisco solution or something like that. Well, that and the other benefit is that all of your system administrators just became network technicians. And Mm -hmm. now they can work on the switches and stuff. And there is no, well, I don't do Cisco. It's a big culture issue. And so so now just – and the thing that is interesting about this article is just imagine what happens when a hardware vendor partners with a major Linux distro, partners with people that believe that Linux belongs at the core of every device in a data center – yeah, we're talking just, about Red Hat and Cumulus here. Yeah, I just I cannot contain my excitement for what might come out yeah. of this. You know, it's interesting to see all of this. So uh, we talked at the beginning of the news segment about uh, Ubuntu dominating uh, the cloud infrastructure, and uh, Stephen in there talks about a big part of it is Juju, and Juju uh, is a management or uh, a management orchestration piece of software that. Uh, allows you right now to just drag and drop server services and essentially you can build yourself a cloud infrastructure with drag and drop. Imagine, and I'm probably already getting here, Noah, but imagine now when Linux, when when part of the things you could, in whatever your app is, if it's Juju or if it's whatever, mm-hmm. being able to drag and drop, here's a SQL server, here's a web server, and now here's a switch, and here's a router. Yeah, well, yeah. Right? Yeah, and it's just, yeah. it's, all, it's all Linux, it's all part of your management orchestration, it's going to make building networks, I mean, it's, I'm sure people out there are already doing it, but in from my experience, that would just be a game changer. Mm-hmm. It's really getting cool. There's a ton ton of neat stuff out there, and as we are about to go into our Ubuntu review, this portion is one of the biggest portions of Ubuntu that we may do future deep dives into is mm-hmm. its role in infrastructure, its role in networking, its management capabilities. Those could all be future episodes. If you guys are interested, just let us know by leaving a comment at linuxactionshow.reddit.com and look for episode 413, Lucky 413. And let us know if you would be interested in us deep diving in some of the more enterprisey features. But Noah, that's all the news for this week. It's time to finally talk about Ubuntu 16.04. But before we get into our big review of this major release, we're going to thank Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged Noah. 
Go there right now. Right now. No, not really. I've already gone okay. there. You don't have to. Okay. Do you know about Linux Academy? Uh, let's pretend I didn't know about Linux Academy. Oh, well, then I'll tell you all about it, Noah. Okay, Thanks for me. asking. Yeah. Well, Linux Academy is a platform created by people just like you that are crazy passionate about Linux. Yeah. So they're following all of the latest trends. Uh-huh. Plus, they want to help grow the platform by making people more aware and educated about it. And it's a great utility if you want to just sort of challenge yourself or if you want to improve your skills or if you want to go get a certification. It's amazing. In fact, they have over 2,364 self-paced courses you can take. they got videos, scenario-based labs, instructor mentoring is available when you need it. Did I mention, Noah? You can Chris, instru- I don't have a lot of time for this. Oh, buddy, buddy, buddy. They got graded server exercises that'll make it real easy to just, when, you, when you're spending your time, uh-huh. you're getting immediate feedback. They're not wasting your time. They got availability planners. You can go in there and tell them, tell them how much time you've got. It'll automatically generate courseware for you. They've got deep dive nuggets. They're like two-minute courses, all the way up to like 60-minute courses, depending mm-hmm. on what you got time for. Plus, they've got entire topics. Like, they'll break down Python and say, Noah, it's going to take you six hours total to learn Python. Now, if I that came to you and said, you need a new work skill, and it's going to take X amount of time, the fact that you can just quantify it like that is yeah. super liberating. Yeah. It makes it actually doable. They have courseware on Red Hat, too. They're really great courseware on Red Hat. If you're doing Amazon Web Services, like we mentioned earlier in the show, Linux Academy has some of the best. I mean, all of their courseware is great, really, all of it. In-depth resources are available, downloadable, comprehensive study guides, seven-plus distributions you choose from, automatically adjust the courseware, but also the virtual machines. But they spin up on demand. It comes with your own Linux server. Isn't that cool? That's pretty awesome. Enhanced learning plans make it tailored just for you. If you're getting into DevOps, if you're getting into Linux or OpenStack, Android development, they have stuff for you. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Going there supports this show, lets them know you heard about it here, and gets you our unplugged discount that we brought to the Linux Action Show. If I wasn't already a member of Linux Academy, I'd be signing up. You sold me. <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir. Thank no you, problem. sir. No problem. It is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So Ubuntu 16.04, long-term support. The first one since Ubuntu 14.04. And there's Funny li- how that works. Well, for people that don't know, now you yeah. do. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about. Off the top, the uh, top new features that everybody's a buzz about, uh, the new software center is a rework of GNOME software. Uh, the, 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 the whipping boy. On this show, for years now, the Ubuntu Software Center has been replaced. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Online search, where it searches Amazon for bras when you when you type right. in, uh, like, a B, uh-huh. turned off by default. Yep. Or if you're trying to open Browseria Disk Creator. Yes. And then you get women's bras. Yes. Yeah. Unity Launcher can be now be moved to the bottom, which is great for a lot of people. Now, is that actually a function of a, of 1604? Is that something that, that is added on? Because I asked Popey about that, and he seemed to imply that that wasn't a function of 1604. Let's try it. We'll try it right here on the show. But okay. I think it is actually a function of Unity now. Okay. Uh, you can also uh, you can move around a bunch of other things, like start and sh- you can shut down. So there's a bunch of other like things you can now change. Um They've moved to apt over apt-git, which is a nicer display. ZFS support is baked into this version of Linux once you install the user land application. And the biggest, I think, long-term thing for us, even though ZFS is a huge deal, I think one of the bigger things is snap packaging. Mm-hmm. Snap packages are part of 16.04, and I think long-term, this is going to be how you're going to get modern applications on a long-term support, and I think that's a really big deal. There's also some uh, AMD ATI Radeon proprietary driver issues, which we might mention later on in the show. Mm-hmm. So... As is traditional with any major Ubuntu release, there are big flavors based off it as well that are very popular. At the time of this recording, it is uh, April 17th, 2016, Mm -hmm. and the release, I think, is scheduled for the 21st or 22nd. You're starting to see projects like Ubuntu Mate release their final versions now. So we've been working with Ubuntu 16.04 for about a month at this point. Mm -hmm. And I have tried... 
the Kubuntu version extensively. I have tried the Mate edition extensively, and I have tried the Unity edition for about the last three days pretty extensively. Oh, good, because I've been using the Unity edition since January. Yeah. And then as of like the last couple of days, I've been running uh, Mate. Mate. For about three, four days, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where we're coming at with our 1604 review. Now, I, I, for up front, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to disclose my biases up front. Uh, I really enjoy using Arch, but one of the things I like about Arch is that once I install it, I generally leave that install for like two, three years. And I would love to get there with an Ubuntu LTS, something I can load on my computer and then not have to reconfigure all of the little things, something I could hook up right here to our broadcast production system and leave it for two, three years. But a major requirement for me is to be able to install modern applications, things mm-hmm. that have been just released, so that way I can demo them for you guys on that week's episode of the Linux Action Show. I think Ubuntu 16.04 actually promises to deliver on this. So this is why one of the reasons I've been really excited. Long-term support Ubuntu, a modern kernel, modern versions of GTK, a refined Unity experience before they make the leap to Unity 8, and snap packages with ZFS. Snap packages, in my estimation, could be the secret key to unlocking long-term viability of, a, of an LTS for somebody like me who wants modern desktop applications with a stable core. Because Snap packages can pull from arbitrary sources. They can be installed within containers. So they might, even if they're down the road, they require a new version of GTK that Ubuntu didn't ship two years ago. Doesn't matter. Snap packages are above all of that nonsense. So for me, Ubuntu 16.04 promises to be perhaps the Ubuntu release that brings me back. I'm really excited about it. Coming into Ubuntu, what were sort of your expectations on the new release? Um, so I have used Ubuntu extensively. In fact, I, I begrudgingly use it as my uh, as a daily driver on a couple machines because I was sick and tired of running into the roadblock of I set people up with Ubuntu and then they asked me questions and then I would go, well, I know how to solve that problem in Fedora, but not really sure how to fix it in Ubuntu. And the only way to really force myself to fix those problems is to experience them myself. So I have been using Ubuntu on on at least one machine since about 12.04. And coming into 16.04, I noticed a couple of things. First of all, um, FFmpeg is no longer this this fork thing, libav, which makes things like... OBS that require actual FFmpeg commands much easier. It also works for Noah, who by just mine just bangs out FFmpeg and doesn't think to do a libav or AV, whatever it's called, AVConf. Um, and so uh, actual FFmpeg is there, no longer for it, and that just makes a ton of things uh, easier. Second of all, <clears throat> Crypt Setup has been a problem in everything past 1504, I think. And basically what would happen is the Crypt Setup package was there, but something didn't wasn't right and so you'd have to reinstall it to get it to actually work which means that i got bit by this the first time where i inst- i upgraded to, i think it was 1510 actually I upgraded to 1510 went into an airplane plugged my thumb drive in can't open any of my files because crypt setup isn't there and so uh as of 1604 crypt setup works flawlessly right out of the box and so i was actually telling chris yeah i was i was making i was giving him a hard time for wanting to do zfs on his laptop and i said you know one of the big things for me is i just want to be able to plug my drive into another computer if I need to pull data off of it. And then I encrypted my laptop hard drive and he goes, ha, what about being simple? Well, actually, <clears throat> it is because if I just plug that hard drive in from an, to another machine, it will just give me a password prompt. I type in my password and now I have access to the data. Uh, third thing I noticed, uh, as you mentioned, privacy is off by default, so no longer searching. Online in, search is off online by searching. default. And four, uh, MPV I actually get play con- playback controls now. In 1510... Oh, yeah, man, that's a weird bug you had. In, in, yeah, in, 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 uh, 
in uh, do, 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 in 1504, in 1510, uh, I could not get MPV to actually give me playback controls on the screen, and so I had I, I was just kind of stuck, and I, I it, was, it was a real pain. That's not to say though that we've had a bug-free 1604 experience. No, I think maybe you should mention some of the bugs you did no, run into. No, not in, at all. In fact, bugs that are already well known. So the first big bug that seems to be biting a lot of people is that the screen is flickering. Now, the first person I saw this was actually Popey from Linux Unplugged. Um, and he has this problem with his brand new uh, ThinkPad T450, I think it was. And then shortly after uh, I, I saw that he was experiencing that issue, I saw that Michael Dominic from Coda Radio was having the same issue with flickering. And now Chris came into the studio this morning, and he's having that problem. Yeah, it's specifically an Intel problem, apparently. Right. Now, you looked this bug up, and it's actually a known issue... And it's not something I've run into on other Linux desktops running Intel graphics. In fact, the same Linux desktops running, say, right. Arch haven't had this flicker, and I would assume they're probably using whatever's upstream that Intel's providing as well. Right. So, which is why I don't, uh, I mean, the, 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 the people like Popey will ha are far more authoritative on the subject than I am, so I, I'm not second-guessing him, but there does seem to be somewhat of a disconnect that it, it seems to work fine on every other Linux distro except hmm. Ubuntu. The, the biggest problem, though, for me, and, and actually really a showstopper for me putting 16.04 at this point into production, is when you install it, if you choose the erase entire disk and A super common it, setting. The most common, the thing I do every time I install Linux. So just to be clear, uh, you've done that. You've booted in the live environment. The Ubiquity installer launches. You're at the partitioning screen, and you're choosing the common option. You erase the disk and install Ubuntu. Blow Windows away. Give me a good operating system. And when you do that, Ubiquity tries to create swap space, crashes for, and there's a bug. And we have it linked in the show notes. Um, and basically, you can't go any further. And then you have to start the entire installation over. Now, you actually ran into, I think... An, off bit of that, which was it wasn't installing your bootloader. Yeah, because the way my system is set up, the main drive I'm installing to is actually SDB. Right. Uh, but the bootloader, for it to work in the installation, has to go on SDA. And it, when that didn't work, it came up with a screen, which I thought was great. I actually complimented I'm like, I love that Ubiquity says, hey, instead of just bombing, your bootloader didn't install. Would you like to choose a different drive? But that screen itself became unresponsive, and I couldn't. it would not accept any input. Um, these are sort of... The reason why we were talking about these at the top of the review is... These are major showstopper bugs that you might run into during the installation of Ubuntu 16.04 on your system. Yeah, I would not, I would not, I will not recommend 16.04 to anyone until that bug is is fixed because that is that is. How do you work around it right now? Personally, I I go into the I manually partition my drive. How is it? Are you sure? That, and we verified it on two computers too, yeah. right? No, I found the bug. I ha, well, it's yeah. not. It's I'll find it and relink it in the show notes. But it there seems is like a big deal to me. It is a huge deal, and so the only answer I have is that. Um, I believe that, w when is the official launch date of 1604? The 21st or 22nd? So the 21st or 22nd, yeah. if it's not fixed yeah. by then, yeah. then I will truly ding yeah. Ubuntu for it. Uh, but either way, I was able to, I've, been, I've loaded on four systems. Yeah, I mean, you can get it done. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing you can do is, the other thing you can do is you can DD the drive, which is what I did on, on yours. You can DD, uh, DD dev slash zero as an input file and then output file the drive, and then it creates no partition, and then Ubuntu yeah. just assumes that it has to install, and you're not erasing and reinstalling, then it works. So, obviously, the other thing that makes the 1604 release huge, I just mentioned it a moment ago, is its ZFS integration. Now, that's not um, really user-exposed at the moment. There's... Uh, user land utilities that still have to be installed for you to utilize it. And you still have to mod probe the kernel driver and the ZFS partition type is not exposed anywhere that's graphical. So it's not in the Ubiquity installer. You can't even use Gparted to partition a ZFS drive in Ubuntu 16.04. 
at this point. It's obvious with the current implementation of ZFS that what Canonical intends you to do is set up a standard Ubuntu system, deploy it to your server, and then when you attach a large data set, a large disk array, or a network attached storage, that's where you would actually utilize ZFS. It's not meant for your home directory or your root partition or anything like that. So yes, you've read the headlines that Ubuntu 16.04 has ZFS. Um, technically, that's true once you install the appropriate user land applications, but it's not really meant to be set up during installation. And that's probably probably a good place for it to be. Because this is a long-term support, I would have loved to have seen that option in the installer. Maybe I could fantasize and and 1604.2 or .5 might actually, maybe they'll include that. Well, really, I think that the appropriate thing to do would have been just to say that we don't offer this out of the box and it's an experimental feature or something like that. And that would not be, you know, when you, it's been pushed and drilled into my head for so long that this is experimental uh, you know, it's an experiment or that it's a, it's it, that is a function of sixteen oh you know four and you know right. I get to the point where I just I kind of expected to be able to hit ZFS yeah you know, that's what I wanted. yeah so you have pulled up uh, so uh, Noah and I uh, both have uh, I have the Apollo here and Noah has the Librem here and uh, we actually have a shot of your machine so this is what I was installing let me see wait before let me make sure I can pull it up here yeah I so I can wait no you go ahead you tease so it so before uh, when I was originally installing about the third time we ran into this error I was able to I grabbed my phone and I just took a picture of it and so this is the error we're getting failed to create swap space the creation of swap space on partition number five zero 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 SDA failed and um, you know, so, th this is a big deal, you know? So there it is. So yeah, so that's, you took a little picture of it during the installation. It's, it's not ideal. Uh, so let's talk about some of the new stuff, though. So just right off the top, we wanted to tell you guys about some of the things that we did run into. But uh, once you get past some of those issues, you do get presented with uh, some nice new features, some real nice new changes. Mm -hmm. I have taken the tact in this review, and I do this from time to time. Uh, I actually am hoping that Ubuntu 16.04 could be the release I stay with for a while. So I decided to customize my desktop in a way that reflects that intention. So I've set up my desktop as if I was actually going to use it. I'm not necessarily reviewing it stock anymore. I did, trust me, run it that way for a while. But here is my Ubuntu 16.04 desktop running Unity 7. I've installed the Arc theme, and I've enabled dark mode just because I prefer that. But one of the first things I wanted to show you guys is the new software center. Brand new software center, something that we have railed on this show for a long, long time. And what they have done is they've extended GNOME software uh, to better reflect their needs. And for that, I actually like it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. For that particular purpose, browsing applications, installing them, it works fast, it's responsive, it integrates with the Unity launcher, it shows mm -hmm. icons, it shows reviews, I can double click on a deb, and most times it opens this up and installs just fine. And last but not least, one of the really great things about the new software is it can install firmware for your hardware. Oh, That's cool. pretty cool. Yeah. You, however, not a big fan of the new uh, software. No, I have run into a, a, a plethora of issues. Uh, start and I mean, some of them are a little unfair because, again, I started using 1604 a, a while ago, back in January. Um, but even right now, we're on the cusp of the release, and I'm still running into to um, to weird errors. Where, so for example, the first thing that jumps out at me is like. The installation, and I have a picture of this too, but I, I didn't pull it up. I, the the the, fir the thing that tells you that the software is complete is a red es a red circle with a white exclamation mark, and then your software successfully installed. That's not the icon I want to see. Like every time I see that, I have in in instinct to panic, and then I read the message and I'm like, oh, everything's fine. Well, why not have like a green check mark or nothing? Actually, in fact, would be better. Um, but I do agree that it is more responsive. 
than the mm. than the old than the old software center. Um, but it does kind of feel like they have simply just picked up what Fedora has done. Well, other you know, the Chrome desktop like they crammed their thing into this thing. In, yeah. I do feel a little bit of that. I do feel I feel like it's a good first step, but it does feel a little crammed in there. If they iterated this in sixteen ten Mm-hmm. And then in 1704, and we really saw something, you know, like this got a little. If as long as it doesn't stay like this for the next three releases, like Software Center did, yeah, I think we're okay. If this is version one, and they just want to have something for the LTS, I, I actually like it quite a bit. I'm still using GDebi to actually install uh, packages I download, but I find this to be pretty great. Uh, just a quick aside. One of the things that I did that was extremely, extremely useful for me is I took advantage of the fact that a lot of these Ubuntu flavors share the same repository, and I installed a package called Ubuntu-Mate-Welcome. Yes. Ubuntu-Mate-Welcome. And then once I run that on the command line, I do something a little extra that I love a lot called tac-tac-software-only. So it's dash dash software dash only. You can install this on any flavor of Ubuntu. If you're not on a GTK version, it's going to pull down a whole bunch of depths. Once you run this, you can take advantage of the software boutique that was created for Ubuntu Mate on any flavor of Ubuntu. And this is one of the best ways for you to load software on your new Linux box. Uh, they have everything from accessories like uh, Vanity to InPass, uh, GNOTE. They have you can set up Steam. Some of the best open source games out there like Zero AD are available. One click, Minecraft. One click, it'll set up Java for you. It'll add the PPA. It'll install all of it. All of these different things are one click away, like Noah's favorite dark table. I use this program, one, he showed it to me one time, and it will be on every Ubuntu installation I ever use, particularly if that person is a new Ubuntu And what's user. great about this, Noah, what's, I mean, like, freaking super great about this, if, for example, some of these things are kind of a pain in the butt to install. Like, uh, Google Chrome is the official Google Chrome. Here's a Telegram well, PPA, one I, click, and I have Skype. One I, click, I have Sync thing. One I, click, I have the Telegram PPA. The software boutique. Install the Ubuntu-Mate-Welcome and then run the software boutique. This is one of the greatest experiences for getting a great recommendation of software installed on any Ubuntu out there. And it is a major boon for the Ubuntu desktop. And if you think I'm understating it, you don't understand how important software discovery is to new users. Well, I think really where, where, where it shines is that we have a fundamental problem in Linux of, 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 a, of a given standard, right? And it goes back to that old XKCD comic. We have 12 great standards of the world. Let's invent one standard to standardize them all. Now we have 13 great standards. Um, and so what this does is this allows, you know, there's no standard way of installing an application. Sometimes you compile from source. Sometimes you go into the software center. Sometimes you download a dev. Sometimes you add a PPA. The nice thing about this is it combines all of them. Google Chrome, I would go to I would go to Google.com and I would download the dev and I would install it. Telegram, I would add a PPA and then I would install it. Darktable is already in the repositories, but I would install it. And this, I install one program. And actually, I know you were really into the software only. I kind of like the little flashy startup page that has a little animation and stuff. And then you click on software and then it like gracefully transitions to software and then you type in the package name. It, it, is, it is super, super nice. And it will for sure be on every machine... I deploy, especially if that person is a new user, because I can tell them with complete confidence, anything in here is a great application to use, because there are no second-class apps in there. They're all amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. And they also have things in here like AppGrid, if you want a better software store, Ubuntu Software Center, the old version, and Synaptic, and which I know is one of the things you always install on Ubuntu machines. You always install Synaptic, and that's just one click away. And now, it's not about the fact that you couldn't input these, you couldn't put all these on one app line. It's more about the fact that you know, I would like an idea for an app like this, and you can mm-hmm. browse the software boutique, and it's available. Now, it is a desktop 
it is something really built for the Matei desktop, mm-hmm. but it works on all versions of Ubuntu. And it's yeah. just such a great way to get software on a 1604 rig and not have to worry about finding the PPAs, adding the key, updating your package cache, then remembering the package name that the PPA repo uses, typing that on the command line, hitting install. You can do all of that, and that works just fine. But if it's a new machine and you want to set up like 15 things, that's mm-hmm. a great way to do it. And it makes it really Ubuntu is. a real simple setup process. It does. Maybe this is a good mo- a moment to talk about my biggest problem with Ubuntu. And I think it, I, I would ask that, that what I'm about to say, I would ask a lot of you to actually really seriously consider it and not just, and not just put up your defenses immediately. Uh, I would say when Ubuntu came onto the scene, one of the things that made Ubuntu great is they took Debian and they took the GNOME desktop and they've, they nailed that six-month cadence like nobody else and they've delivered on it over and over. They nailed their release schedule so well that it's not even a story that they're on time. And it's a common story that Fedora is delayed. Not making it, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, you're right. You're 100 I'm laughing because you're right. They're very right. They have delivered on a consistent schedule now since they Mm -hmm. launched as a project. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they did is they created Linux for human beings. They created a Linux that was, it was picked by people that had intention and people that had good taste to create a well-customized GNOME experience that just didn't suck. And one of the things that was great about Debian is you had apt-git, it was super easy to install software, and Ubuntu extended that even further by adding PPAs, and truly made adding software to Linux desktop easier than any other desktop distribution out there. This was four or five years ago. In that time, Canonical has been distracted by mobile, and a lot of things have changed, and other distributions have stepped up to the plate to make software installation even better and easier under Linux. To the point now that, in my opinion, Ubuntu is the hardest distribution to install software on that most common desktops use. The Fedora project has launched Copper and made it significantly easier to find and install software from all over the web via Copper. The OpenSUSE project has OpenSUSE build and software.opensusa.org, where you can search for just about any damn package you want, and it's one click away. In the years that Canonical has been focusing on mobile, every single other desktop distribution has passed them by in ease and availability of software. In the review and preparation just for the segment in the top of the show, the pick segment, I had to go through, and I know this sounds ridiculous, four different modern applications that have recently had releases that I could find installations for SUSE and Arch, no problem. Every single one of them I could find for Arch. And only one out of four had a DEB available and a PPA available for Ubuntu. Modern software is no longer released immediately for Ubuntu. Often it's because they have old GTK libraries or it's simply just too much of a hassle. And for a new user, the process of installing software on Ubuntu versus OpenSUSE, Fedora, or even frickin' Arch or Gentoo, even Arch or Gentoo, is more cumbersome, more involved, and less available for the Ubuntu desktop. And in my estimation, having used all of these distributions and installed software for all of them intends to review on this show, Ubuntu is always the hardest and most cumbersome to get new modern software that's outside the repo installed on. And the only, only, only saving grace that Ubuntu has is that most package maintainers out there, most developers out there creating for Linux desktop, happen to create a deb out of obligation for their user base, 
not as a reflection on how Ubuntu makes it easy to install software or how easy it is to make software available for Ubuntu, but as a reflection on the goodwill of the people creating the software that they make an Ubuntu dev available. And if it wasn't simply for that goodwill, software would be nearly impossible to install on Ubuntu that could be remotely updated and maintained as they release new versions that get updated with the rest of my system as part of my package manager. And even on this very install, I have two or three one-off deb files that I just simply downloaded off the internet and will never be updated with the rest of my system when all the other libraries around it get updated. It is simply the hardest distribution for the modern Linux desktop that competes in that space. It is simply the hardest distribution to install new desktop software on. I agree with you to a certain extent. Uh, certainly, if you're looking for uh, when applications first get released, a lot of times, you're right, they're not available on Ubuntu. And you're right, they almost immediately uh, propagate themselves in Arch. However, and this is where I think we fundamentally disagree, is that there are a lot of problems with software in Arch. They are correctable, they are troubleshootable, but there are and, fundamental and just problems. For, just for clarification, I'm not talking about ease of maintenance. I am not talking about how hard it is to set up well, your X fine. server. If you want a useless I, TeamViewer installation, no. it, you can get it installed on Arch, but it won't work. At, well, I, are you uh, are you serious? I could in in 15 minutes I could have a brand new Antergos installation here with TeamViewer, Chrome, Dropbox, everything installed with a single command. TeamViewer doesn't work until you go through and manually enable some daemon that you have to first restart. You a can't conflate what developers are pre-setting up for Ubuntu with what Ubuntu is I, doing as a platform I, to make software available. I understand that, but if your argument is that software is fundamentally easier to install on every, if you're, you're, yes. you said that you thought that software is easier to install on every other distribution other than Ubuntu, and I'm telling you that is true on, on a very large scale for uh, for a bunch of esoteric applications, but... I'm not you, esoteric. Esoteric, we tried, we, there, were th there were three app picks we threw away this week because you can't install them on Ubuntu. Right, and how many people are using those apps? Anybody who has a modern Linux desktop that wants to check out some of the greatest software available in open source. I understand that, but they are not, they, those are niche apps. Those are specific apps. In fact, this show is for a niche audience. We are a niche group I, of users. I agree with that, but you're talking about all users. And so what I'm telling you is when my, I set my. I'm saying what, what, what is obvious to niche users because I, because we want, uh, where's the PPA for SimpleNote? Where is where where I, I, it's it's a dev? You go to their website why, and download I a dev. Just when I like downloaded I downloaded the Slack client, I had to go download the freaking dev. Right. There was no repo. Just like simple note, but that's the exact same thing you would do on Windows, no. right? Yeah. Oh, I am simply saying that it is okay. an. I'm just saying that it is it an accepted uh, a venue to get software for somebody publishing a file. And I'm simply saying and, and in 2016, but, every other distribution out there that is relevant on the desktop has created a better system and a better platform, and, developing modern, updated applications. And by the way, it comes down to not just trying out applications, but it's also important for user security and privacy. I understand that, but there is a downside to that. Look at Lightworks, for example. I installed Lightworks on Arch, and then Arch updates and gives me a different version that I didn't want, and all of a sudden. I can't even open the stupid program. I can't import my. I can't edit video on my laptop. Couldn't do but that for what four would months. That, what would that situation be? If and that wouldn't have happened on Ubuntu because they are custom packaging it for Ubuntu right. and delivering. So it is easier to install programs like TeamViewer and Lightworks on Ubuntu. But do you than understand it used to that if Arch? Ubuntu used a standardized way to deliver software, then it is very likely that Lightworks would work better on every other distribution on the planet. Yes. Because they would not be spending so much R and D on making it just work on Ubuntu. Yes. The problem is that developers like. Google with Chrome and developers like uh, who owns Lightworks? Uh, Editure. 
Huh? Edit share. Edit share. The thing is, is they have to spend a disproportional amount of time making sure that they can make a dead package available mm-hmm. because they have to hand roll that right. like it's some sort of old Cuban cigar. And instead of mass producing You're, something that they can make for Mac OS and for Windows and for every other Linux distribution. Right. And if Linux is barely worth your time to begin with mm-hmm. and 90% of your resources have to go into packaging for Debbie or for Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Yeah. It actually screws all the other Linux. I, and I if Ubuntu, if, if they had just spent a little bit of time, like what if they had taken the PPA system and made it half as good as the OpenSUSE build service, or half as good as the AUR, or, e- or even just in a shadow of the copper build system? Mm-hmm. What if they had taken all of the existing infrastructure they have with, with Launchpad and PPAs mm-hmm. and the Ubuntu install base, and they had made a way for people to sustainably commit software to the Ubuntu platform, mm-hmm. and it wasn't through this crazy go download to file off the internet like a Windows user, mm-hmm. everybody would be better off. And and just because just because developers like EditShare make a special magical deb for Ubuntu right. doesn't mean that Ubuntu is excused from having one of the hardest platforms for average end users for installing software and keeping it up to date and maintained. But I I get where you're coming from, and I agree that in the longevity of you know in a widespread thing you know for the entire community, I think we'd all be better off if we're taking your approach. But that's not the world we're in right now. And the world that we're in is companies look for, when they want to port to Linux, they look for where are the majority of users. And whether you like it or not, the majority of users are on Ubuntu. So then they go to Canonical and they ask, how do we get our software on Ubuntu? And Canonical responds to them mm. and then they follow that process. Here's and that process leads us to having Lightworks and TeamViewer and basically all the software that people actually want to use, like Google Chrome, available on Ubuntu. And it doesn't necessarily work on other distributions. And- and that's it's only, a problem. It's only going to get worse. It's, see, I, I, while part of me thinks the thing that could make Ubuntu 16.04 work for me in the long term is the fact that it's going to have snap packages, mm-hmm. at the same time, things like XDG App, XDG App are out there that would work across all distributions. Right. Things like App Image. Uh, are already out there. Software is already shipping, like OpenShot with App Image. These things exist today, and snap packages are going to be once again something that is specific to Ubuntu, that is packaged specifically for this distribution, that will take time away from the other distributions. Uh-huh. But the very fact that they are implementing snap package support, mm-hmm. I think, underscores my argument. They recognize that Ubuntu is a difficult distribution, that it is a moving target, and that snap packages are meant to solve this problem. Right. They're just a couple of years too late because it didn't dawn on them until they decided to create a fancy way to install software for a phone. Well, I think that I think that back when they came up with the deb and and the dot deb that you download, right? I think they were following a paradigm set by other operating systems, and I think that the I think that what you're seeing is that they are they are moving in the direction that you would like them to go, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that when that happens, like I said, ultimately I think overall the community will benefit. But I just don't. The Ubuntu community will. I think everyone will. I think well, I don't know. Unless people can implement, maybe people will implement snap package support. That'd be pretty cool. I, I look at this and I I, I, I guess I guess here I guess th- this is the best way I can say it is I would rather have less software that works all the time and when I sit down especially software that I really need to get my work done I'd rather have a distribution that 100% of the time I'm 100% sure I can open Lightworks I can open TeamViewer those are the two that come and to mind I'm sorry where, to okay, keep repeating that's fair them. but here's where I come down and I'd rather not have to like okay another example that comes to mind fat support on on uh, on Arch took me or ext fat whatever whatever it was took forever to and that just worked out of the box. Uh, on Ubuntu, like yeah. they're, it, I'm, I think again we're conflating ease of use to administer and ease of software. But I'll, I'll end on this: what I want for my desktop operating system, and I don't care if it's Mac OS, Windows, or Linux. What I want is 
hey Chris, you should totally check out this really cool new application. And what I want to be able to, I want to be able to say, oh great, I'm running Ubuntu, that should be no problem. And you know, because yeah, you true. sat in that room with me as we tried four different app picks, yeah. you know, I was like, oh, but even before I can't that, install I... this. But if I was on Arch or if I was on SUSE, I could install it. And we yeah. went through four different apps in a row the... before we got to one that I could install on Ubuntu. Right. And at the end of the day, you that's can just talk, one time. You can talk. That ju- I'm saying that's just one time that that's happened. I, I know, ag- but do you or do you not run an Arch no, box I, at home I, to try I, out apps? I think for you're the misunderstanding show. what I'm trying to tell you. That is just one time that you have experienced that particular thing that happens over and over yes. and over again. Yeah. Yes, and and my point, my point is like for me, ease of use is I found out something I want to do on my computer and I want to be enabled to do that thing. And a lot of times, because the answer is, well, you're running Ubuntu. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. If you're running Arch or you're running SUSE or you're running Fedora, you could try it out, and it would just be a couple of clicks. Mm-hmm. But because you're running Ubuntu, you can't do it. And like you know, like I downloaded software, I built, I compiled it, I installed it, I got right. it all set up, and I'm looking, I'm going, I-, I can't recommend the audience do this. Yeah. And I scrapped it. Right. And if and you know, at the same time, every single time I wouldn't check the AUR. Yep, it's available in the AUR. Right. It's got 20 votes. It, yeah. It, yeah. Like every single time. And my point is, it doesn't matter how easy it is to have Ubiquity not be able to erase your disk. It doesn't matter how easy it is to have the software center crammed into GNOME software. Mm-hmm. It matters that I can't install the apps that I want. Yeah. And I'm not crazy. It's a drop-down terminal. It, 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 is, right. it is a new launcher to replace Synapse. They're not crazy esoteric applications. They are desktop applications being created by people today. That's yeah, not esoteric. today. They haven't been if around If I was a, a Windows user and that was a Windows application, no problem. I could download it. Yeah. And I think you, you can't forgive Ubuntu for it. You can say it's a lot of things. You can say it's a great server distribution. You can say it has a lot of support. It has a big community. But it's simply, in my estimation, no longer easy to install software on. Compared to the other if, distributions, if you want or access even to all Windows of, or Mac. Yeah, if you want access to all of the available applications, I would agree. That seems like a huge paradigm shift for Ubuntu for me. That seems like we went from Ubuntu, everything's available, that's why you run Ubuntu, yeah. to, well, you know, as but long that, as you that, want I guess to install that's not why I run Ubuntu, though. The reason I run Ubuntu is because I, want it, I, I just want to know that certain things work. All right, all right. That's fair enough. I mean, and that's that's where we differ. Yeah. And I feel like I'm hoping that as 16.04 grows, the, the availability of snap packages closes the gate, closes that gap. Uh, so let's talk about just a couple of other things real close. Uh, battery life on the Apollo has been about six and a half, seven hours under mm-hmm. Ubuntu. It's been great. Performance has been excellent. The new Unity, uh, well, it's not really all that new, but it's Unity 7 has gotten to a point where it's pretty well refined. Uh, the search launches instantly. Everything works really as you would expect it. Uh, once you customize the theme a little bit, it just, I think it looks like an outstanding desktop. I, I really have no complaints with the way this thing looks at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. I did initially with the default theme, but you just click a couple of buttons, install a couple of dev packages that you download off the web like a Windows user, and you are good to go. It's no, it's no. Yeah, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I think it's, I think it's a great desktop. Do you have any other takeaways? I, I do, not necessarily <clears throat> on the operating system, but if I may, a couple follow-ups on the uh, Librem. So first off, uh, I've had a plethora of issues with Wi-Fi. It disconnects constantly. If I am, sometimes it will show me connected, but the I, I am connected to the Wi-Fi, but it shows an empty wireless icon. And having run 16.04 heavily on two different other computers and have, watching you run it, I have not seen that issue on anything other than this computer. And I definitely haven't seen the Wi-Fi disconnecting all the time. Second issue is the trackpad. I cannot disable tap-to-click, and I cannot I cannot enable two-finger scrolling. And I understand that's because the driver is only available at the operating system that they ship. So I can't use the... Laptop yeah, so designed just, to run Linux it, it on anything other than their operating system. Yeah, so the trackpad on the Librem 15 under Ubuntu 16.04 just shows up as a PS2 device. Yeah. 
which means no turn, to, no touchpad support, basically. And no turning off tap to click. So Noah is using a trackball during the show right now. <laughs> so, yeah. I am not impressed. So uh, I want to just take a moment before we move on, mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk about the different flavors of Ubuntu. So yeah. I, I, the software thing for me is sort of the big thing that stands out. But there is a large community out there that packages software for Ubuntu that sort of, you know, lacquers over this particular problem. Mm-hmm. And then there are flavors of Ubuntu that really take it even further. And I'd like to show your screen, so I don't know if you have anything on there you want to clear off. Oh, but right. uh, So I challenged Noah to spend some time with the Ubuntu Mate edition of Ubuntu 16.04 because mm-hmm. that's what I spent the most time with was mm-hmm. Ubuntu Mate. And so I switched over to Unity. He switched <coughs> over to the Mate release. And Noah, I'm kind of curious of your takeaways. So I asked you, I basically said, set it up not for a client. He told me I wasn't allowed to use anything other than this computer that we set up with Mate. That's true. Basically what he said. And I said, set it up like for yourself, like you're going to use this computer for a year. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious what your takeaway was with the experience of Ubuntu Mate 1604. Here's the biggest thing. I've always liked Mate, right? And But I think I came to a new realization. Uh, previously, what did I tell you I thought Mate was best suited for? Machines that are sort of headless that every now and then need a GUI or like an end user that doesn't need a high resources PC or like yep. a Pentium 4 that staff might sit down and yep. enter in their uh, their tickets. Appliance-like computers. That's basically what I see it as. And I have changed that opinion. And I basically changed that opinion because I think now what I am starting to see is this is very similar to I think what a lot of people like about the Mac desktop, which is that it's a very simple, elegant, clean desktop that has just enough pizzazz, just enough change from release to release. So like this, uh, this uh, uh, Synapse uh, launcher. Yeah, this is something they spent some time on, integrating uh, Mate functionality into Synapse. So you can type specific Mate functions or things like that, and the Synapse launcher uh, understands what you're saying and can launch it. Uh, do you have, uh, check, uh, go into this, uh, the system menu there and look for uh, Mate Tweak. Where is that at? Bring that guy up, because this is something really neat that they've done. I don't know if I have it. Oh, you should. I think so. Just look under, uh, look for Matei. Well, here, can I do this? Can you type in Matei Tweak? Or try typing in Tweak and see what comes up. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, now go into the interface there, Mm -hmm. and you see how you have different uh, interface options? Try dropping that down, and try out their new one, uh, the Mutiny one, which is Matei's take on Unity. Do you see that there? Scroll up a little bit. Look for the Mutiny one. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There you go. So now you see how – now minimize that window so you can see what it's done. Uh, Minimize tweak. You see you now have a very Unity-like Ubuntu Mate experience. So you can bring in some of the things you're you're familiar with with standard Ubuntu, yet you're getting the resource leanness of the Mate desktop and the quickness. And you don't even have Compass turned on. So if you go back into tweak there, Noah, Uh uh, go back there into tweak. And, uh, no, not welcome. I think it's their bottom icon there. Yeah, go there. And then uh, under Windows, perhaps, go into the Windows there. Uh, yeah, so select Window Manager. You see that uh, it's using Marco there? So you can GPU Compositor, and you can turn on. You've just now turned on the Compiz Compositor, and you're now, you now have 3D-accelerated uh, desktop windows. Real easy. See, now you're getting the animations. So now it's a lot like Unity, isn't it? It feels yeah. a lot like Unity. Yeah, for sure. And actually... Oh no, that is still. But uh, you know, the the thing is that the the uh, the Ubuntu Mate desktop started out. It originally appealed to me, like you said, for um, low powered computers, Pentium fours, the things that <clears throat> were basically trash. And then I decided I was going to try and repurpose them. And I was working with the school to get um, some of their computers repurposed. And I was like, we could implement this at the shop. And so we started taking computers and and running Mate on them. And then I started running it on the Pi. And I'm like, so this could be like my end all be all desktop. And then uh, after using it just now I'm like, you know, actually for a person that didn't want the flashy pizzazz of Unity, that didn't want the flashy pizzazz of GNOME, 
Mateo would be a really great choice. Yeah, not only that, but so I that's the one I spent the most time with. And to me, what it what I what here's what I realized about it is the thing about Matei, and not so much about the mutiny mode, but the thing about the standard Matei setup, mm-hmm. nothing is hidden from you. The UI is obvious. Any UI element that you need to interact with on the desktop is visible to you in a reasonable way at any time you need it. It's easy to figure out what windows you have on which desktop. It's easy to find any application installed without having to dig through pages and pages and pages and pages of menus. The Synapse integration makes it easy to quickly reconfigure your display. It is truly a fast, lightweight Ubuntu desktop that for, a, for an LTS, I think, is the most compelling release because Wimpy has rounded off a lot of sharp edges here with the welcome center, with the integration for GTK3 and support for client-side decorations, with the inclusion of integration of Synapse, and the the tweak application allows you to quickly lay it out more like a Windows desktop, Mac desktop, Linux desktop, GNOME 2 desktop, Unity desktop, all with a single click, one-click compositor activation. It is... All the advantages of Ubuntu 16.04, with some of the roughest edges smoothed over, real nice and smooth, and it's the same exact freaking distro you could run on a Raspberry Pi, and it's supported by an outstanding guy who is a great member of the Linux community. It's truly one of the best Linux desktops out there. It is a rock-solid distro with a great interface, a fantastic, enthusiastic community, tons of software availability thanks to that welcome center, and really, really reasonable thought-out defaults. The only thing I would change, honestly, is making Chrome the default web browser. Oh, of course you would. <laughs> That's really it, though. Yeah. It's good, man. It's really yeah. a good desktop Linux. Meanwhile, somebody lost his show notes twice or three times last night for using Chrome. <laughs> really? That's awful. That's awful. Uh, I really, I really, really like the Ubuntu Mate desktop. Um, in fact, this is how much I like it. Is I was thinking... Um, about things that got me really excited about introducing Linux to people way, way back in the day when I was first like excited yep. about Linux and really like, you've got to try this thing, like you know the way you are all the time, yep. still even yeah. 10 years into it. <laughs> uh, now I'm like, oh, you run Windows? That's quaint. Good for you. And I don't like try to, I don't try to argue or convert people. You don't convert pizza guys? No, I don't. At three in the morning, I don't. When delivering pizzas, you're trying to build a computer? If I was like, a, like just like this out there, switch everybody kind of guy, Matei is the kind of Linux that, but Ubuntu Matei Linux is the kind that gets me super excited because I can I can guarantee them a working environment that is very easy to understand. I can guarantee them that when they load it on their machine, it's going to run faster than the desktop they have on there already. And I feel like it's going to stick around for four years without breaking. There's mm-hmm. not like extensions that are going to break or plasmoids that are going to crash when I try to update the weather. It's just a solid, proven desktop that isn't skewing the future. Mm-hmm. They've worked on GTK3 support. They're working on Wayland and Mir support already with fantastic progress. They're integrating the best stuff about Linux, modern desktop yeah. Linux, and they're traditional environment. And what 1604 is, it's Wimpy and the team having another couple of releases under their belt and really knowing how to put together a distro now because they've done it a couple of times. And it's everything from the website, it's clear to download, uh, the commands to flash it to a flash drive are right there, copy and pasteable. The download speeds you get are awesome. The torrents are web-seeded. So, I mean, it's literally everything from visiting the Ubuntu Mate website and understanding what you're getting and how to get it to installing it and using it, I think, it's a first-class experience. Absolutely. No yeah. Absolutely. It, it feels like a distribution that's been around for a decade. 
Yeah, you know, you're yeah, you're right. You're it's right. It really re- does. It's, it's that really polished. good, and it shows you it shows you how great the 1604 bass can really be when you really jazz it up. And you can. And what's great about the different Ubuntu flavors is you can be like me with a Unity desktop and pulling in some of your favorite packages from the Mate flavor, or you can be like Noah over here and pulling in some of your favorite things from the Unity desktop into the Mate flavor. So. Just because they're both part of the Ubuntu family means you could you don't have to have just one or the other. You can mix in your Mate with your Unity or Unity with Mate. I mean, not 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 like like literally speaking, but like you are now using the Mutiny version, right? Uh, Which I, I will add that I did that because you told me to and to demonstrate it. Uh-huh. I actually don't want to use right. that. Right, but. but at the same time, you went to the same place to get your Simple Note packages. You went to the same place to get your Quasal package. You yeah. went to the same place to get Chrome, right? Yep. And I went to the same place to get all of the same software. And I have a totally different desktop environment. And both of them are great, Yeah. like Tony the Tiger would say. So while I have issues with some of the outstanding issues, like installing software on Ubuntu, they are already addressing it with the new software center that I yep. think overall, on the whole, is an improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much faster and responsive, and yep. it's more in line with what you get in other Linuxes, which is very nice when you're switching around. Even if sometimes you don't know what version of the... Software yeah, that's a bit of a bummer. Uh, I think <laughs> Snap packages, while today aren't the offering me any solutions, and you can install Snapcraft, and you can create your own packages, and you can look at the examples, mm-hmm. and they've just updated Snapcraft, which is the tool to create Snap packages. Mm-hmm. While those show promise down the road, mm-hmm. they're not here today. The ZFS support is in there, but it's not really available to me as an end user right. today. But all of these things have potential of developing and delivering during this actual release of Ubuntu. I don't feel like I have to wait till 16.10 to start using this stuff. I feel like I have to wait three to six months and people are going to start creating this stuff for Mm 16.04. It's just people have just gotten their hands on this thing. And once they start recognizing that snap packages are a fundamental game changer, once people start deploying ZFS on their VPSs and on their data centers and all that kind of stuff, this is just going to become commonplace. And it's all going to, like, what I I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get across here is like 16.04 is a great desktop today. Like, it legitimately mm-hmm. is, once you get everything set up and you do the bulk of all your software installation, mm-hmm. it frickin' rocks. It's well-performant. And on top of all of that, I truly believe three months and six months down the road, it's going to get even better. Yeah. And 1404 genuinely did, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, they, they smoothed out a lot of rough edges in 1404. And, you know, it, it, that's saying something because 1404 was really nothing to scream about over 1204. I mean, it was newer, and so you got a newer kernel, and so you got access to newer software. But beyond that... What really changed, you know? And this time, there are very specific things. I mean, we're having a time, we're trying to keep it tight today, and we're having a time wrapping up all the things that have changed in mm-hmm. 1604. So, yeah, I it's, agree. We can expect big things. It's something that's taken me a month to wrap my head around, and mm-hmm. it's something I think is going to take me another three months to fully uh, take advantage of. My intention is to leave it installed right here on this machine for a while and see how it does. Okay. And see, and I'll just keep it as long as I can um, with Unity and all of it. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm really, now that I have the bulk of my software installed, I'm pretty hopeful. The only thing that's really going to be a gotcha is, you know, about once app a week, picks. I try to do like a whole range of app picks, and then I yeah. start getting grumpy. So I may reload it, but right now I'm sticking with 16.04. I think it's the best Ubuntu ever released. I really do. Wow. I think 16.04 is the best Ubuntu ever, and even though some of the things I need from it aren't here today, it has all of the fundamental technologies. This is an Ubuntu-born post-Docker, post-ZFS, post-Snappy yes. uh, packages as a conceived thing. Um, this is this is a this is a LTS before everything changes. Mm-hmm. Everything Unity eight, the Mirror uh, Display Manager, all of that display, whatever, all of that is going to start changing in the next few releases. And this is sort of 
our last stand. <laughs> well, it's sort I mean, of yeah, it's it's our it's our last celebration of a, of the of the Ubuntu desktop of yesteryear, and it's just it's a damn good one. Yeah. And like uh, for what uh, like the things I talked about regarding software installation, that's not really new. That's just a meta problem for Ubuntu, right. not specific to sixteen oh four. And and to be fair, it is also a problem that has grown over a long period of time, and. We have reached a point where it has it has become, you know, an unbearable hurdle that needs to be solved. Right. Like five years ago, even, I don't think we would have been having this discussion. Mm -hmm. So, well, yeah, the other districts have closed the gap in the meantime. Right. Right. But so what I'm saying is that that's a very recent development that that's happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Either way, uh, it's going to be my go to distro for servers now. 16.04 by default will be the server OS I deploy going forward. Any system in the meantime that I expect to need in production for a while, I'm going to want to go with 16.04. On these two machines, I'm sticking with 16.04. I think it is a bang-up job, and not all of it is necessarily thanks to the work that Canonical has done. I mean, some I of would it definitely say, actually, is. I would say some of the most exciting parts isn't because of what Canonical has done. It's actually what the community has done. Yeah. And some of it is, like Snap yeah. Packages and things yep. like that are thanks to the work they've mm-hmm. done, but uh, mm-hmm. some of it isn't. And, you know, they are, they are definitely pushing the way forward with CFS, and it's cool to actually see it implemented so soon. So it is a really interesting release with pretty much everything in there from for Ubuntu haters and Ubuntu lovers. I think that really, I think you're going to pull something out of yep. it. And I think it's one of the most exciting desktop releases for Ubuntu in years. And if you really think, I, I just, I, if you haven't tried it and you want something special, go look at the care and love that has been put into the Ubuntu Mate edition. Part of me wants to say it's what Ubuntu would be today if Unity hadn't become a thing. Oh, I think that... Wasn't the entire kind of driving? But thing? I mean, they actually nailed it. I mean, it's one thing to be a d bag and a, and a blowhard and say that, but it's another thing to actually deliver on that. And yeah. they've actually delivered on yeah. that. Yeah, well, I think that was their goal. So that's good. I, I I think a lot of other distros out there would have tried it and they wouldn't have nailed it. So I agree, it's a good thing and mm-hmm. it's definitely worth your time to try it out in a VM or on a, on a desktop. Two different computers here. It's worked great. That uh, chat room. Uh, who pointed that out? Who just pointed that out? Uh, JB Live Seven points out in the chat room that in previous editions of Ubuntu up until sixteen oh four, there was some code that you could put in to move the buttons from the yep. right side over. Yeah, the it was a, it was a metacity theme that they've now just hard coded into the window decoration. Right, and so that's you can no longer. There's no to, to the best of our knowledge, there's no way to move yeah, those buttons. You can't anymore. move those buttons anymore. It's so. a bummer. <laughs> so it, it, I was like, you know what? I was trying to make it work. You know what? I think I'm going to change these buttons. Yeah. I was really trying to set up for for me for the long term, and I'm like, "Hey, no, I'm going to change the buttons around." Ha ha ha! Oh wait, you can't change the buttons. Uh, if that bugs you, maybe consider GNOME or Mate because you yeah. can change it on those. It's just the Unity desktop. Mm-hmm. Also, I just haven't mentioned a lot, but for three weeks I ran the Kubuntu edition, and the new Neon right. packages are out for 16.04. Mm-hmm. Kubuntu, or uh, basically Neon now. The Neon desktop on Ubuntu 16.04 is just the best Plasma desktop experience out there. It is so solid. It is the latest version of Plasma put together by Jonathan Riddle. And uh, if you want a KDE desktop and you want the best Plasma experience out there, you got to check out KDE Neon built on top of 16.04 with the latest, freshest Plasma desktop packages. I think Neon and Ubuntu Mate are some of the best desktop distros out there, and they're both based on 16.04. I might still, end up, at the end of the day, be an Arch guy, mm-hmm. but I am super impressed. Deep in your heart, although, actually, you only have one machine? I've reloaded a ton of stuff for this review to Ubuntu. I mean, servers yeah. I left, but... Well, not just the, not just the review, but even before... Well, I mean, well, I've been, I suppose I've been leading up, yeah. I, because because <laughs> it takes a little while to warm up for me. I, sure. I've been doing it for about a month, and I've been single-handed. I mean, every machine basically has gotten reloaded to 16.04. Right, so right. I went, I went all in. 
All right, that's the Linux Action Show's look at the new Ubuntu 16.04. brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Now, Noah, before we go any further, I got a pop quiz for you. Say you wanted to have an excellent, out-of-the-box Linux experience. You didn't want to fight with your hardware at all. You just wanted to play with your new Ubuntu installation. Where would you go? Can I call it? Oh, I know. System76. Hey, oh, that's right. System76.com, creators of machines born to run Ubuntu Linux. They make powerful computers and desktop laptops, tiny, tiny desktops, all-in-ones to the big towers from small, light, thin laptops to big, huge desktop killers. System76 has the whole range, including servers. Noah, do you want to spill the beans, or do you want to wait? Do you want to mention it, or do you want to wait? Um, Come no, on, what, Noah. what would be more fun? I, okay, I, we'll just leave tease. it. All right, just all right, tease. Fine, all right, fine. There may or may not be a package that, and, and great thanks to their actually, you know, we never talk about their dashboard, but they, they actually have a sweet dashboard where when you make an order yeah. for a computer yeah. that I may or may not have done. Oh, you're kind of giving away. That's not oh, really so oh, much a hint oh, as oh, it is. <laughs> I tell I didn't exactly tell what I didn't, you did. I didn't tell him which one. So I didn't no tell him. may or may not have ordered himself a new System76 computer out of his own personal pocket. We don't pay for our computers that we get from System76. He may or may not have ordered one because, let's be honest, they have some of the best computers out there for Linux. Completely shipped, dude. Oh, man. God, I am, I am leg legitimately so, so jealous that I wish they took Bitcoin and I would try to like hustle them to switch over to t accepting Bitcoin just so I could get myself <laughs> one. I am really super, super, super jealous. I've wanted that since the day I touched it. Anyway, System76 has great computers that are, you know, the nice thing about them is they take out the hardware variable. You always know that that system's going to work with Linux. You can try out different distros. You're not going to fight with the hardware. You're just going to load Linux and everything's going to work. And, you know, having jumped through some hoops recently with some other hardware, that kind of stuff is huge. System76.com, desktops, laptops, tell them Linux Action Show sent you and get yourself something nice. Now, Noah, speaking of System76.com. Linux Fest Northwest is coming to Bellingham, Washington the weekend of April 23rd and 24th. Come say hi at the booth and don't forget to support Noah during the Linux Switch competition. Head over to meetup.com slash Broadcasting if you want to meet up with us. And don't forget the live Linux action show on the 24th. We hope to see you there at Linux Fest Northwest. I'm really excited. Meetup.com slash Broadcasting. Noah versus Emma. The Linux Switch competition is nigh. If Noah wins, I gotta shave my stash. If and if Noah I loses, lose, then I gotta grow out all the fuzzies on my face. And tattoos. A Vista Windows. tattoo on the head. Didn't we decide three? Me, uh, Vista, and uh, Did we? I will go for three if you want three uh, Windows tats I, I, on your head. I'm not confident, yeah. Okay, you're going to go for three tats. So three tats on Noah's forehead, plus yeah. he's got to grow a beard, and he can't really grow a beard. It's going to look like pubic hair all over my I face. want you to win, but I want you to win so bad that I'm willing to incentivize by shaving off the stash. Yeah, well, so, all you, apparently all you have to do is order some Pizza Hut, and we get that party rolling, man. We'll see. We'll see. So uh, at Linux Fest Northwest... Noah and Emma will be squaring off to see who can convert the most people to Linux. We'd love to have you stop by and say hi to us at the booth. If you see us broadcasting or talking, don't feel afraid to walk up and say, hey, guys, it's okay. We're there to say hi to people. And uh, we'll have a booth. You can come see um, us. Um, unless it's Sunday between the hours of 10 a.m. and... One. One. Then yeah, we're probably or two. We're probably us. doing a show. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to actually show up, have you show up and watch the show. Mm -hmm. Watch it in person. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, and if you're working on some cool open source, why not stop by and tell us about it? We'll have the mic going. We'll be streaming probably all day Saturday and most of Sunday at jblive.tv. So even if you can't make it to Linux Fest Northwest, you can at least be there in spirit by hanging out in our chat room. And oh, Emma is in the chat room. Oh! 
Emma busting it out in the chat room. Yeah, yeah, of course she was. She's watching earlier when she hacks our live stream and yeah. took us off air for a little bit. Yeah. I think the competition <laughs> is getting nervous. Hacks or Emma brought us down during the pick segment earlier today. So if you notice, the top of the show looked kind of like crap and didn't sound very good. That's it's all Emma's fault. Emma totally logged into our network using a remote exploit and totally hackered our live stream. Hey, we don't have emails or calls today because, uh, well... Noah screwed up. And our call screener is about to get picked up in Lady Jupes for a road trip, so he's busy. But I did want to do one follow-up story that you might have expected us to cover this week, uh, but I just didn't cover it because it just didn't smell right. It went all over the internet, all over Hacker News, all over Reddit. That that IT guy that accidentally RMRF'd his entire drive and took 1,500 clients offline. Yeah, I heard about that. Turns out to be a fake. Yeah, well, just a huge surprise. troll. Just and you know what? To Alan's credit in TechSnap, Alan said, you know what? This smells like a troll to me. Because uh, uh, you actually, oh, shoot, we don't have the footage, but you actually tried to wipe. Oh, I sh- you why tr- don't I have that here? So we were like, well, we're going to reload some of these machines anyway. So Noah brings up a terminal on his On mach- my main computer. And I'm yeah. like, well, RM- Alan says I can do this, so I should trust him because Alan knows Linux. So rm-rf-, dash uh, you have to do dash dash no preserve root or something like that. Yeah. And you didn't do that just right. to see what would happen. Yeah. And it didn't work, did it? No. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing is Linux has actually had protection built in to prevent you from deleting your root since like uh, 2005. They added that to the RMF RM command, so you couldn't actually do it. Turns out to be a huge troll. So if you saw that story this week and wonder why we didn't talk about it in the news segment, uh, that's because it turns out to be totally bogus. Yeah. So there you go. It's a good answer. Yeah. All right. So uh, if you want to email the show, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and send us in some emails. Or why not submit content, an open source project, or just give us feedback on Lucky413. Go over to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and put your thoughts in the thread. And don't forget our live shenanigans next week, and we'll be at one of the largest Linux Fests in the world at Linux Fest Northwest 2016, streaming it live at jblive.tv and shaking your hands if you can make it in person. On Linux. Hmm. I might shake your hand even if you're not running Linux. But it no, might be no, a no, judgy no, no, shake. No, 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 no. Like, no, no. like one of these. We're streaming mm. on Linux, oh. and you can shake their hands yes. when they come to see us streaming Assuming we on actually Linux. get the computers to boot. Well, no, then we have the streaming rig for the... That sounds like a cop-out. That sounds like a cop-out. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here from Linux Fest Northwest next week. I think today's the day I switched to shorts, and I don't have any shorts. Today's the day, and I don't have any shorts. Congratulations on switching to shorts, except not switching to shorts. Oh my. You could go pencilless. Yeah, I'm... I'm tempted to just take my pants off, I'm so hot. Somebody else suggested that. My back's all sweaty. Oh. Oh. All right, don't look, no, I'm taking my pants off. I'm too warm, I gotta do a show. All right, there we go, boxers only. Oh, that's a lot better, actually. Okay. The pants are officially off. All right, there we go. That feels good. No, you're scooting a little bit, no. <laughs> all right, I gotta... I'm gonna put my pants on now. No, don't quit looking at my dick, Noah! <laughs> okay, that's a little better at least. There we go. Thank you, babe. Next time I'm remoting in from out there. Yeah. Woo, 
that's a lot better. Okay. Well, I'll say. Okay. All right. Now I can do a show. All right. Oh, good. Now, are you hearing that fan, or do you think it's okay to leave that fan? Yeah, going? I think it's worth it to not okay. have to. <clears throat> All right. Are you ready to start? Even the chat room feels bad. Hey, for chat me, room, for you please abusing bang. Abusing me. Please bang. Suggest. Uh, we need to get going here. I suppose that's my fault for slacking off, screwing around, not paying attention, right? Yeah, quit fucking off, Noah. What's that? Did you do that? What? You see why we can't get started? <laughs> this is why we can't get started, because you keep screwing around. I didn't do that. Dreaming. Up Ubuntu. Um, with all the software available. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> Just like the art user repo. That, that was one of the better ideas you've had all weekend. What, move the AUR to Ubuntu? Yeah, somebody, I know, should, that would somebody be great. should get on that. Uh, all right, here we go. Popey, we love you. We have to say crazy things so that way you can uh, sound reasonable and intelligent in Linux Unplugged. If we didn't give you fodder <laughs> to bounce off of. Nobody likes Unity. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Nobody uses the software center. Worst distro ever. Actually, we I think single-handedly trashed it and complimented it. Like, I think that's what makes it a good review. We, we yeah. brought up both the best and the worst. Hey, there are a lot of distros we review on this show that we wipe as soon as the show is over. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, like OpenSUSE. <laughs> oh! Where's the... There it is!